0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's the podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners, where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Kayla Mason.
1: And my name is Todd Hicksonball, a.k.a. the Todd
0: Father. And we have a great episode for you today. Today, we are talking with Tiffany Pham. And Tiffany started the company called Mogul. And she recently released a book called You Are a Mogul. How to do the impossible, do it yourself, and do it now.
1: And she's actually been um, shouted out and even talked about um, by Cheryl Sandberg who is what is she Caleb is she the COO of Google or of uh, not of Google of, of uh, Facebook I think I think that Sheryl's I, so. I think Cheryl's COO she's high up in Facebook she's high up there and, and I mean that should speak on, uh, for itself but what what is Mogul um, Mogul is an online community where women can be empowered to um, kind of put them, their name out there, write articles. Uh, it's kind of a social media platform. In, in, I mean, I guess that's a very simplistic way of, of saying it. Um, but it's a, it's a spot where many women connect. She said, "is in the, in the episode." Over a million women are connecting on Facebook. Um, huge business. Um, they, they're partnered with the United Nations, um, along with many, many other very prestigious companies and organizations, um, to be able to. Um, empower women and, and to be able to get the message that these women are trying to, to speak out there great organization
0: however before we get into that conversation with tiffany we'll, we want to remind you that all throughout the month of october and to celebrate our 100th episode being released we we're releasing two episodes throughout the entire week to so subscribe to the podcast make sure that you don't miss any of these episodes or go back through our podcast feed and catch any that you might have missed now is it time it is
1: time it's time it's time for it to go down caleb what's the resource of the week
0: resource of of the week is a book i recently read called radical candor and uh, i i've heard about this book before uh, but whenever we talked with uh, our friend gina mclean um, i knew that i needed to make reading this book more of a priority Mm. and it's really about having difficult conversations with people and it's it's really practical and incredibly helpful so if you struggle with dif- having difficult conversations you need to pick up this book so that's our learner's corner recommended resource of the
1: week ba 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 ba. i've done that for a while i felt like it was time to break it out again
0: so without any further wait here's our conversation with tiffany bam well, Tiffany, we're so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Thanks
2: so much for having me. I'm super excited about this conversation.
0: Yeah, you know, just as we get started, you know, tell tell us a little bit about your story before starting Mogul, and then what kind of led you to want to start your company as well?
2: Well, great question. For sure, it was my family initially that inspired me because I had come from a family that had been in this space for many generations from working to provide information access to others around them in need, to also providing opportunities, job opportunities, to women in their countries and around the regions. So anyways, I grew up wanting to follow my grandmother's footsteps, particularly within my family. And ever since I was a young child, just kept on on looking up to her and wanting to be like her. And then, um, out of nowhere, I was moved from Paris, France, where I was living at the time, to Plano, Texas. And there, as you can imagine, went through culture shock. As then, I didn't know how to speak English. So then I would try to learn by watching TV shows and movies. And ultimately, from that experience of moving around and continuing to look up to my grandmother, really started to see the power that media had on education and learning and so at that age was already experiencing how impactful it could be. And then when I was fourteen years old, that was when my whole entire life changed. Because that was the year that my grandmother passed away. And the day that she passed away, I made a promise to her on that day that I would do everything I could to follow in her footsteps. No matter how hard or challenging, no matter How little sleep I got, I was going to spend every waking moment working towards this goal and mission too. So ever since then, ever since I was 14 years old, that's all I've ever worked towards. And then literally then by age 16, I remember applying to Yale because I had seen it in a TV show. Much like the rest of my life, you'll start to very quickly see the pattern. I would see TV shows and movies, and that would influence my decisions thereafter on what to do as well. And anyways, in that example, I saw Gilmore Girls, I saw Rory Gilmore going there, even though <laughs> <I didn't, laughs> even though I didn't have the funds to attend. I wrote them an essay pleading and and begging for them to let me in if they would just give me the chance. I knew I could do this one day, and then they let me in, and fulfilling my promise, I very much ended up... Going to Yale and then running the school newspaper just like Rory and subsequently just like my grandmother. And then, subsequently after that, saw a movie called Legally Blonde. And then she goes off to Harvard in grad school. And that's when I realized to myself that. Again, to fulfill this promise to my grandmother, I needed to know every facet of the media industry and technology industry inside and out. And one of those ways would be to learn from the financial side, to learn more about business strategy. And so I applied to Harvard Business School and and ended up becoming one of their youngest students. And subsequently... Went there, ended up then taking on jobs, working for one of the presidents of BBC, who actually, years later, is not only a close friend, but mentor, advisor, and also a part of Mogul on our board. And then finally worked for one of the presidents of HBO and one of the presidents of CBS. And then from there became one of their youngest directors there when I ended up even further realizing that I needed to do more. I needed to take on more side hustles at night to fulfill this promise. So I ended up at nights taking on side jobs after my job at CVS during the day. And those side jobs included working with the Vice Mayor of Beijing and also my third job working with Hollywood talent producing feature films and documentaries so as to highlight different social issues that needed more global awareness. And so then fast forward, and what happened was that I woke up one day, by chance, I'd been listed on one of the first years that this came out ever, and it was called the Forks 30 under 30, and my email address was attached to that, and all of a sudden, so many young women started to email me from around the world asking me for help and advice on how to get these three jobs too. And so I would write back and they would tell me my letter had changed their life. And that was how I came up with the idea for mogul, realizing that, that what if instead of sharing all this advice, one-on-one behind the scenes, we had a platform whereby millions of us could share our ideas and opportunities and insights and obstacles and challenges and struggles amongst each other and become that much better and stronger together. And so finally, fast forward again, as I came up with this idea, I looked around and I had no money to hire a team of engineers, but what I did have was a willingness to work hard always. And And do this myself. And so I rolled up my sleeves, and every single day I'd work for the president, one of the presidents of CBS. I'd work for the vice mayor of Beijing. I'd work for Hollywood talent all throughout the night. At 3 a.m., I would be done. I would teach myself for Beyond Rails. And after a couple of weeks, I built the first version of Mogul. And then I sent it out to the thousands of young girls following me online. And we ended up exploding to become one of the fastest growing platforms for women ever and so that's how, why I started mobile.
0: <laughs> so I want, I want to go back to something that you said earlier, cause I identify it, with it a lot. Um, I'm, I'm kind of in, uh, you know, following my family's footsteps as well in, uh, in that. And what I want to ask you is, do you ever feel any, any pressure that you put on yourself, um, from trying to, from trying to live up to, you know, the legacy that your family has, uh, you know, provided or kind of started down that path. And then how how did you deal with that if you did feel any of that pressure or self-imposed pressure or whatever it may be?
2: That's a fair question. Um, I, I didn't feel necessarily a pressure to succeed, but I felt a pressure to give back to my parents for all the sacrifices that they made for me along the way. And they never asked for that. They never asked for me to give them anything but love and care and to be a great daughter. And, you know, my father even still to this day says, and as he said, even in my early childhood, that it wouldn't ever matter, no matter how successful I was or how smart I was, et cetera. So long as I was a great daughter, he would always like just be the proudest father ever. And so that's the kind of environment I grew up in, just such caring, loving parents and um, and for whom I would do anything because they did everything for me, you know, sacrifices, endless sacrifices throughout their lives to take care of their children, my siblings and me. And so I put pressure on myself to always ensure that one day I would be able to give back the way they did it to me.
1: Tiffany, you've shared that you've worked for different organizations that are pretty prestigious, um, HBO, CBS. Um, you gone to incredibly, you know, an incredibly prestigious school in Harvard um, and and to their business, to their business school, which is, I don't know, there's probably somebody out there going to yell at the, at their car radio right now saying it's not ranked number one, but it's, what's up there is one of the best business schools to go to in the world. How have you managed to be able to put yourself in these positions? Is it just hard work? Is it, Um, Was it knowing people? How how have you been able to find yourself in arenas consistently where the influence is is just magnified?
2: That's a great question. And I'm so excited to be able to share this answer because you see the glossy on the outside. You see the big names and you see a lot of like, you know immediate success but it totally wasn't that it totally was so much effort behind the scenes and oftentimes reaching out to so many people because with high volume comes many no's but also finally a one yes and with that one yes that becomes what everyone else sees so you know at the end of the day i think what i'm excited to share was that with each thing that you may see as a success probably came with it so much failure that I'm equally proud of. I love the fact that I reached out to 50 role models who then led me to one collaboration out of the 50, you know, that then became that side hustle that you see and that ultimately became one of the three jobs I had and I I shared with you today. That was ultimately the secret sauce for me. Always thinking about what I hope to accomplish in five years, thinking about the skill sets I needed to develop to get there towards that goal. And then thinking about who was incredible in each of the areas and the skills that I needed to develop, you know, in terms of, for example, my dream, it was developing this business one day to follow in on my family's footsteps, my grandmother's footsteps. So the skill sets I needed to develop were to ultimately uh, be a great marketer and great salesperson and great business strategist and great product and tech person and content creator and distributor and of course not be the best at it because eventually as you build your team then then hopefully everyone will compliment you in those areas where you weren't an expert before but subsequently as a result of being able to know it at least you could proceed forward in that direction Um, So I would work backwards from that dream towards the skill sets towards the role models who are really great in those areas. And then from meeting with those role models, I would ask if there was any way to collaborate with them. And From there would emerge the one or two side hustles that you're referring to. So yeah, so at the end of the day, um, that's how I did it. And same thing for anything even more formalized than the side hustles. Whether it was an internship or a full-time job, with each full-time job that I get to share today, there were probably so many I was applying to and so many internships I was applying to as well to get the one that I get to share today.
1: So what it sounds like um, to me, just as I'm kind of reading between the lines, you have an, a, a tremendous amount of self-awareness, but also an emotional intelligence to read the room. As a leader, as a person leading a, a successful organization, um, how what do you look for? Whether it's an employees or you know on the platform that you have for for young women today, how are you helping to propagate this idea of becoming more self-aware and having emotional intelligence to be able to to really succeed? I mean, because it takes a tremendous amount of both of those things to do what you did. Um, and, and honestly, you know, listeners are probably laughing right now because I talk about emotional intelligence and self-awareness a lot. Um, So how, how do you see yourself in those two areas? And then how are how what are you looking for in others as it pertains to self-awareness and emotional intelligence? That's
2: such a great question. And ultimately, it has not evolved too much from what was earlier on, what I was looking for versus now in terms of other team members and how we collaborate. Um, I look for people who are um, easy to get along with, flexible, willing to grow as the organization grows. Um, And therefore, because of that willingness, they're a mogul to me because a mogul is someone who is, Ultimately, rolling up their sleeves, willing a very willing person to learn, to develop themselves, to develop others, um, excited to, to make any mundane task become extremely exciting and therefore exciting others along the way and making themselves a really great team player in this way. So there's a lot of, in that um, description, uh, basically some tiny threads. There, the time threads are, again, a willingness, a, a willingness to learn, a willingness to participate, a willingness to help others and help themselves. And um, and so that's the kind of emotional intellect that I look for. And I definitely even, you know, for sure, cherish EQ more than IQ, actually. Uh, I mean, ideally, our ideal candidate is extremely sharp and um, so top of their game, that they're the world-class like expert in this particular area we're hiring for. That is though very much you know something that we can see. Uh, we have you know hundreds of candidates for one role, for example, when we uh, are hiring for the team towards a specific function, who are incredible in that function uh, because of their skill sets and all the experience they developed along the way. But the rare combination is that. Plus, someone who has tremendous emotional intelligence, who is loving and caring and kind and authentic and generous, and though, I would rather have that than the former.
0: So we go for the combination. Yeah. So I want to go back to um, you know whenever you whenever you were just starting uh, mobile, what were some of the key decisions that you made either at the beginning? Or as the business was growing, that have helped you take the company to where it is today. What were some of
2: the lessons learned early
0: on? Yeah, what 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 were some of the key decisions that you made at the beginning of Mogul or as you were growing that has helped take Mogul to where it is today?
2: Great question. Well, some of the early decisions that helped it kickstart up were probably me becoming a super user initially. It was a lesson that I learned from a fellow founder. He probably has no idea that I was listening so intently years prior to even starting Mobile. I remember the, that lesson influenced me, and I still to this day cite it. So thanks to him. Um, but basically, it was again to become a super user of your own tool or software that you develop. And as a result, I remember posting about my raw, real emotions at that time. I, at that time, was actually going through a breakup. Um, I had been with this person for a very long time, and then around the time that Mogul launched, uh, he all of a sudden made me choose. Choose him, get married, move in, or launch Mogul. I know why the binary decision. It didn't make sense, but he was going through a phase of his life and asking for this choice, and I very heartbrokenly chose Mogul, and as a result of that, um, at that time, ended up then feeling a need to share my raw, real emotions and struggle and and challenge with others. And I did it through the mobile platform. So I would post and then my posts about the challenges I faced would reach 13 million women. Every single time I post 11 million, 13, 12. And it kept on reaching that level of traction so that early on was a way in which to reach that eventual audience and user base for Mogul and then finally next it was then about taking all those moguls that were coming and ultimately building a community around them so for that you know bringing on an early team alongside me um, that was a key decision I brought on collaborators who then became our longtime founding team members that subsequently you know are now lifetime partners of Mogul. And so ultimately, that was a key decision to work with those ongoing collaborators who knew me so well, I knew them so well that we could establish early traction and who were so incredibly loyal that even years later, they're still at Mogul. So I'm very lucky, actually, that all six members of the founding team behind Mogul alongside me are still at Mogul today. So that was a really key decision early on. And I can definitely go into the details of how I did that because there definitely are some mechanics that are exciting to share on that front um, that might be helpful to other entrepreneurs. Next decision was then to develop a social impact model um, that was based upon our mission so our mission is to help women all around the world through information access economic opportunity and education and in terms of our platform we were already accomplishing this information sharing from the ways in which we would monetize we knew eventually would be to do so in a way that would provide back economic opportunity to young women worldwide though we weren't sure exactly how and then in terms of education we started developing uh, courses inside the company. We started developing internally 1,200 course modules to provide back to our users. Somewhere along the way, I made a decision, which is that I had decided to, every single time the United Nations would ask me to come and speak and share more about Mogul and all of our goals and subsequent successes on those goals to date, I would say yes, I would say yes every single time to the point where I was stopping by the UN nearly every quarter, providing policy recommendations and again, providing more insight into our research and continued success and impact on women's life worldwide. To the point where then I became friends with the UN team, and eventually those UN teams we were collaborating with became partners of ours, as they would say that we were developing resources that they needed, so why reinvent the wheel, and instead we could just partner. We had the resources, they had the reach, why not combine forces so that with perhaps dollars earned by Mogul, with every dollar earned by Mogul, they could provide free educational resources to others in need. So we developed that model because of that partnership. It took nine months of negotiation. And then when it was done, it was complete. For every dollar mobile would earn, we would provide free educational resources to women in need through our international partners, including the United Nations as part of that. Finally, the last part is... Uh, a key decision that we made on monetization. I mentioned along the way that we wanted to build our monetization model around providing economic opportunity, but we didn't know quite how. Well, to develop that, we eventually just at least started with one aspect, only to later expand towards where our users and our partners were leading us. So initially we enabled the simple job posting to be allowed on the platform so that people could just job post or post an opportunity that ultimately they had at their company. And then finally, our talent could get access to that opportunity. We expanded that offering after hearing company after company tell us that this was exactly what they were looking for. Never had they seen such a platform that could enable them so many millions to be able to reach and ultimately gain access to globally. That was very important for them on a global level. Uh, and then subsequently also just authentically connect in this way as a result. Um, we heard that over and over again to the point where then we finally said, okay, it must be done. We must actually therefore build out a presence for these companies to be able to do that. And that became one of our first four products. Um, the ability for companies to build a presence on the mobile platform and through our software, post jobs and internships, tapping our talent at unprecedented levels and then um, ultimately in, increasing diversity and inclusion in their workplace. And then thereafter, we developed webinar trainings and other HR reporting tools that enabled these companies to develop safe and inclusive environments. So that at all in all are representative of four decisions we made that were very key early on to becoming mobile today.
1: So you just said so many things that I want to, to ask you about. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start with this one, and I just want to back up and highlight this so that listeners can understand what you said. So you have actually, through Mogul, which is your company, you have partnered with the United Nations. So can you tell us a little bit about how that developed? And and you mentioned how you know you've, you've formed this partnership, and, and it's been beneficial for reach and for them to be able to have resources. But can you talk to us a little bit about what that partnership has looked like, and what it's continued to look like for you today, and just the story of how that came about.
2: So, what happened was that initially, actually, rewind back, wait to when I was a little girl. I loved the United Nations so much; I thought it was such an incredible entity, and I could not wait to work there one day. Back before I was even thinking about the promise that I would eventually make to my grandmother. So uh, then, fast forward. Um, In college, I remember having the potential opportunity to intern there, and then thereafter I actually did get an internship there. But my father always said that if I worked really, really hard, I, I probably wouldn't have to go to the United Nations as an unpaid intern. Instead, one day, if I worked really, really hard, perhaps they might even invite me there as a guest and to present the hard work that I had done. And I don't know to this day why he said that because... Had it not been for Mogul, I don't know how else that could have happened. But because of Mogul, he was absolutely right. It happened within the first year of starting Mogul. They immediately asked me to come and share more about Mogul to their delegation. And all of a sudden, at a one year anniversary, I find myself talking about our impact and getting a chance to meet with all these UN officials and representatives that subsequently told me one by one within their respective departments that they wish to partner over time, that initial partnership with each of them was simply more speaking engagement. So it didn't at first look like what it is today, where it whereby it is now a formalized agreement signed, et cetera. But at the time it was just me always coming by and sharing. And I kept on saying yes and yes. And that doesn't mean everyone who's listening to this has to say yes and yes and yes to every time someone is asking you, To speak somewhere but for me at the time it was an opportunity to continue building a friendship that might turn one day into a long-term relationship and of course that's what happened it turned into a friendship whereby every single quarter i was coming by and sharing more sharing more insights developing more strategies together to the point whereby over time we learned what their strategies were that they were planning on developing courses of their own to distribute to women worldwide and We had already developed them, so they said to themselves, "Why recreate the wheel? We can just combine forces and distribute your resources to our women constituents in over 93 countries, and then from there, we can create major impact in this way." So then we put together an agreement over the course of nine months, which for them they told us was record speed. They never put something back together that fast. For us, as you can imagine, that was very not record speed (laughs) we were like wow this has taken like the the lifetime of the whole entire startup but um no but we're so grateful and the day that we signed is still one of the proudest moments of my life um just getting a chance to uh, have both parties present in the room um, and each one signing their part of their formalized memorandum that shares ultimately the responsibilities of each partner, which on our end is the development of those courses and the distribution of access to those courses through um, the UN entities that are part of the partnership. Subsequently, this has much uh, expanded to even beyond the United Nations, whereby we provide not only through the UN, but also through other partnership entities um, around the world who are also um, servicing women in need in some way in their various society, various countries. And so we partner with them as well to include them in our social impact model so that then they can provide our resources to women in need for free as
1: well. So one of the things um, that you've done recently with, with your company is you've actually written a book and it's called you are a mogul. Um, and, and that's something that, that, that's the reason why we're talking to you um, is because that's how we found you as you wrote this book. And so one of the things that you write about in, um, in the book is talking about promotion. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? It's, it's a tricky thing. It's a tricky subject, but can you just talk to us a little bit about what you mean by promotion and, and how that plays um, in, into this thing? What advice do you have for people whenever it comes to these types of conversations?
2: Well, the advice that I shared in the book was what I actually directly did myself. And every single time I heard someone tell me that they read the book, uh, they often tell me uh, every single time that they actually earmarked that page or they highlighted it, they photocopied it to hang on their cubicle wall or their office wall. And so that's so exciting to hear that, you know, they, they told me that they would flip through the whole entire book and every single page is highlighted or circled or earmarked. But it's that page that gets the photocopy, which is really amazing. Um, And so anyways, that page, what it says is essentially my process for always getting a promotion and raise pretty successfully. I would always go to my supervisor manager and let them know that in six months, I really, really hoped to be able to be promoted. So I would basically let them know upfront months in advance what I hoped for. And then from there, I would share, you know, the reasons why I, Hope to get that at that time, which is that typically I wanted to communicate that I was in this role for the long term, for the long haul. I believed in the company. I believed in the organization. I loved working with the manager, the supervisor. And I just wanted to continue developing my path forward here. And I wanted to ask for it because I know that every single person ultimately um, has limited bandwidth. And even that incredible managers may have limited bandwidth to think about each of their respective direct reports, paths ahead at a certain company. So why not at least communicate on your end as much as you can about what it is you want so that then you can help to increase their bandwidth after and they'll be grateful for you for that too. So anyways, I would share with my manager supervisor what it was I wanted to accomplish in the six months um, to get there. And then they would help me develop that plan. They would say, you know what, actually, If you do this or XYZ milestones, then I think I could see myself then getting you promoted to director or VP or whatever level it was. And very rarely will you get a no from that kind of question of like, you want to be promoted in the future in X, you know, six months to a year, because it seems so far off to the person you're saying that to that it seems like, sure, why not? Like, why would, how could they ever really say no? No, you cannot be promoted in six months to a year. Like, I feel like if they say that, then you know, then that it's not the right place for you. But if they say yes, which they're likely to, if they see you long-term at this company as well, then then to get to work together on the milestones you need to reach in order to make that happen, as impossible as they may seem, um, if your manager makes that a difficulty for you, at least you know what those are at least you know the expectations so that then you can point to them and say, look, I did this. I did everything that we discussed. And so, you know, now um, this is what I was hoping for as well, based on our past discussion. So anyways, I think it's a pretty, um, not fail proof plan, but as solid of a plan as you can get to actually ensuring that your expectations of how
0: you're going to be growing are met. And then, Another thing that you write about in the book that really stood out to me is that you talked about um, some things that you should do before accepting a job offer. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I think I shared how ultimately when you accept or when you receive an offer, it's really good to say thank you and to share how excited you are about the opportunity so that they know how grateful you are. Because I can tell you, I've been on the other side before. Where uh, as the hiring manager, if the other candidate isn't excited or thinks because of a negotiation tactic that they should be less excited so that then the other you know tries to become even better in the negotiation phase and, and give them a better offer um, when that's happened it's it's dampened my own enthusiasm as a hiring manager, and I've known others as well who have even question the offer they just made when a candidate purposely didn't act as excited for negotiation purposes. So for your sake, definitely when you get the offer, be excited, be authentically excited. If you are excited, show it. If you're not excited, that's a different issue. But if you are, show it, say it. However, do indicate that you'll get back to them. You just need to discuss internally or with your family more about the offer and you look forward to getting back to them as soon as possible. Uh, then subsequently, go ahead and based on the offer, look around at the marketplace. Look around at whether you're a corporate or a startup, you know, because there will be a differentiation there in terms of salaries. Then look in terms of the role, the title, the responsibilities attached. There are a lot of tools out there that ultimately will help you narrow down at what the market is for this particular role and function, and and therefore whether you're being paid on at market or above market or below, then based on that, hopefully you can come back and share what that zone is that you saw. And typically it will be higher than what you got because it, it is very on the rare side for employers to to offer at the highest end of what they're willing to offer. They'll typically offer at the lowest end of what they're willing to offer, or maybe the mid-range if they're very decent, but typically they anticipate the candidate negotiating, so they'll come in lower. So as a result, come back and go ahead and offer, you know, that you would love to accept the role at this, if they can meet you at this range and, or, you know, this number that you've pinpointed and explain your rationale is why, you know, that it's at the market and or, you know, in this role, you anticipate um, taking on these responsibilities that will, you know, so provide significant value to the company and um, that you'd like to, you know, really hit the ground running on this. Use positive framing, try not to, you know, use negative framing as much as possible. And then. And then ultimately from there, they'll hopefully come back and increase the price and, and you'll be
0: able to accept. So switching gears a little bit, one of the challenges that every organization faces um, is that of systemic bias because of, you know, sexism and Mogul has become an organization that is really leading the way in helping organizations, you know, um, help everyone experience more gender equality. And so what have, what have you done at Mogul? Help overcome some of these biases and better promote um, gender equality in the workplace?
2: Well, we ultimately, within our, our own webinar trainings, actually teach Fortune 500 companies and their, their respective employees how to overcome unconscious biases within their workplace. And those trainings we actually use, of course, within our own company to train against unconscious bias. But collectively, therefore, internally, externally, these these trainings that are so powerful, truly life-changing, as it makes you super aware of the biases that you showcase on a day-to-day basis, hour by hour, minute by minute. Literally, in every given moment of the day, you can only process X amount of information. And so as a result, your biases kick in because that's how you were able to process the remaining information. Your brain is only able to process about a few bytes of information, so the rest, again, is processed through biases. This can mean, therefore, that when you're posting job opportunities on your site, um, that you are doing so in a way that attracts male talent as opposed to female talent, or vice versa. You may be using pronouns that are only he, 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 or she, she, she. It could mean that you are using adjectives that are masculine or, or a more assertive type of word that actually um, skews towards men finding them pre- preferable words to use as opposed to women um, and or uh, vice versa. Um, and so anyways, it's important to think about the ways in which you're demonstrating bias, even as simply as when you're writing a job description that will impact your future workplace at the hiring level, then even in the interview level. You must also be uh, very conscious of your unconscious biases then because you may be, it's a result of unconscious biases, creating an environment whereby your person you're interviewing is feeling ill at ease. Because they look different from you, you may be making less eye contact with them. You may be leaning back a little bit more. Because of that, they're leaning back a little bit more. They're making less eye contact with you. They're giving you, therefore, worse answers because they feel ill at ease. And now, as a result, you're not going to get them the job offer. So, um, so unconscious bias, you know, and, and, uh, all the consequences of that, um, can very much occur. Throughout the interview process and it's very important to be conscious of that during that time frame and again moguls webinar trainings then go through the rest of the pipeline throughout which talent is hired and and retained and advanced throughout an organization and helps to combat the biases throughout
1: one of the other things um, that you write, you write about in the book that, that I found really interesting is you talk about this concept of being an intrapreneur an intrapreneur. I that's a struggle to say that. Um, you talk about being an entrepreneur. Can you talk to us about what that means and how somebody can maximize doing that within an organization?
2: Absolutely. An entrepreneur, an intrapreneur is essentially the same thing, whether you're outside an organization or inside an organization. The intrapreneur is obviously inside an organization, but it's equally entrepreneurial in spirit in terms of... Rolling up their sleeves and seeing where more value can be extracted. Where it is everyone else hoping that they could be working on but didn't actually ever end up spending the time on? Therefore, immense value can come out of that, of building that up and streamlining it further, whatever stage it may be in. But a mogul is the one who, again, will. Be the first to raise their hand, to volunteer, to be willing, and ultimately roll up their to do it themselves, learn about it, self-taught, um, and figure things out. And that can happen, again, within organization or without. And it happens a lot in the places, especially where entrepreneurial uh, cultures are thriving.
0: What's the biggest challenge that you're facing at Mobile right now, and how are you working to overcome that? The biggest challenge yeah
2: the biggest challenge is probably uh, oriented around talent, um, so we have a couple of challenges from the fact that we are always doing giant global impactful initiatives and uh, and it's so exciting, but we're in New York. Centered office with the, you know, the, this global impact and um, global need in, in terms of our presence, but we're at this time still in the U.S. and now have the opportunity and challenge of choosing where next to expand. Do we expand internationally in Asia, where there's a mix of investors? that are from there who have invested in Mogul, plus users who are highly interested in what we do, or do we go to the UK, where actually our partners are pro- progressively pulling us. They're pulling us so much that um, we have so many clients on the platform that are UK-based and finding hiring from uh, within our platform, but we have no investors there, for example, or very few and less super users. So these are the kinds of the decisions that we have to make as we decide where to expand next based on pros and cons.
0: So Tiffany, just as we're wrapping up, we always have a few questions that we love to ask all of our guests on the podcast. And the first is, what's one thing that is helping you either personally or professionally right now?
2: One thing that's helped me personally and professionally is having a bad short-term memory (laughs) because, (laughs) because I forget no's right away. And because I forget no's right away, then I hear yeses and I go for that yes. I move past the no's knowing that the no is a not right now that will turn into that yes.
1: How do you navigate it if it's actually a no?
2: It's never just a no. It's always a not right now in the end. I feel like so many times I did get no's that I thought to myself were just actual no's. Years later, even if it took years later, did become a not right now that turned into a yes. Um and by that I mean even for example, this one time, this accelerator, our first year, one of the most prestigious in the world, this accelerator, contacted us, told us we were you know, favored a uh, startup to be chosen. They only chose like in the single digits of startups out of the thousands of applicants they um, go through. And they told us to go through the rounds with them and hopefully we'd get in at the end. We went through the rounds, round, round, round. By the last round, all men in the room as they listened to our invention and the mogul social enterprise mission and subsequently just didn't understand. Didn't understand the need, didn't see the need for it no matter, even with my metric, you know, that showed that we were, had exploded. Um, and, and ultimately because of that, um, they said no. And then I remember our little team at the time of three people at that time, cause it was like month number one or two, we came into a room and we said, you know what? It's okay. We're going to, we're going to put ourselves. Through our own accelerator, we will put ourselves into our own accelerator to the point where we will light our, you know, our own fire under our butts. We will uh, meet with all the mentors that they would have introduced us to, because that is typically the ways in which an accelerator accelerates you. They will introduce you to so many people. Well, we'll introduce ourselves. We'll introduce ourselves to these role models of ours. We'll become friends with the mentors we would have had throughout this accelerator. So we did that, and sure enough, a year later that accelerator call, and we had become the ones who had got away, and they said, if you come through our process, you actually don't even need to. You've already got the spot. You have the spot already in the accelerator. you don't have to apply. It's all done. And we said no, because we were too big by then. And so that was just another example of how a big no at the beginning that we thought for sure was a big no actually turned out to be a not right now, and that turned into a yes.
1: You're giving every high school boy and girl right now hope who's ever been turned down for a prom or homecoming date.
2: <laughs> oh, definitely. And even that has stories on
1: where I say things. Too. <laughs> um, what's, what's, one, what's a piece of advice you would give to somebody who's eager to learn?
2: If you're eager to learn, I am just so excited by that because I think that's one of the best things that you already have going for you is that you have that excitement and passion to learn. So now it's about picking out the right books, the right resources, reading about it all the time in publications, um, immersing yourself in whatever it is that you're excited to learn about through, again, everything I just mentioned, books, podcasts, listening, reading, publications every day, becoming that expert, talking about it all the time because then you can brand yourself as the expert too, even if you're not that expert expert about it yet. And then all of a sudden you're being invited to workshops or being invited to panels. You're invited to conferences to represent that area, even though, again, you might feel like an imposter, but that's how all imposters start. That's how all successful entrepreneurs start is like ultimately at the beginning, just putting yourself out there as the initial thought leader or expert. And even if you're not feeling that way yet, you're going to get there as you continue learning and reinforcing yourself as that thought leader in this space. Eventually, because you're doing that, because you're speaking, because you're part of conferences, you will become friends with all the thought leaders, too, who are actually probably doing the same thing as you, who are so probably just passionate and trying to learn as much as they can, too, and catch up with the rest. Together, you will become friends with those people. You become friends with the experts, the best of the best, the thought leaders, and you will become one of the best of the best, too.
0: What's a book or a podcast or an online course that you've uh, gone through or learned from recently that is just uh, rocking your world?
2: So many. There are so many courses that I'm so grateful for. Um, What recent and some not so recent, but deserve shout outs from what, what I used to learn how to code. It was called Ruby on Rest tutorial by Michael Hartle. It changed my life. It was a PDF available online. I've also credited Dale Carnegie audio tapes to being what enabled me to become a very calm leader, I'm known throughout our organization as being very calm, and it's because of his lessons early on. He taught us, me, you know, since we used his tapes to learn how to speak English when I was 10 years old, um... He taught me early on to not stress out, to think in any moment in which I'm experiencing irritability, to think about whether that moment is going to be so important in five years, such that it deserves all this irritation now, deserves all this stress now. And the answer is almost always no. So whenever I think of those two lessons, um, or from Michael Hartle to Dale Carnegie, I'm so thankful for them.
1: everybody learn one thing and this thing could be preparing the perfect cheesecake and i love cheesecake or it could be you know something highly philosophical um or or a business principle what would that one thing be
2: i would then realize and learn that Anything they set their mind to is not impossible. With their hard work and dedication, anything is possible. They can do themselves and they can do now. They can, if they want to learn, they can set about researching everything it is that they should learn. They can get all the experts on that matter to be their friends and collaborators and thus even learn even more and and become at the forefront of this area that they want to learn more about. And if it is a business that they wish to build in that area or join organization in that area, they can absolutely do so and reach the top.
0: And then our final question is, what are you learning right now?
2: Right now, I learned a lot in terms of Professional and personal. So on the professional side, I feel like I'm spending a lot of time thinking through next level. Um, you know, last week our book came out, *You Are a Mogul, as well as our first time conference ever, bringing nearly a thousand attendees together from over 100 cities, 25. Uh, states and seven countries and it was brilliant we got so many hundreds of letters letting us know it was one of the most life-changing events of their lives it's called mobile x Um, and how mobile X has just transformed their way of thinking and doing and and learning. And so that was really exciting. So we launched those two initiatives and then we actually also launched a mobile app very quietly. It's being globally rolled out right now through our super users, but it's actually available in the Apple app store and throughout which others can converse with one another. Um, Our women worldwide can converse with one another women and men both actually, but all ultimately providing obstacles and challenges and struggles to each other so that ultimately they can talk about it and get that real, raw advice. And so anyways, because of all these new innovations, um, especially with the mobile app, which actually um, involves some cutting-edge, newly uh, patent-pending technologies, um, I'm thinking through all the ways in which to further scale these initiatives globally and continue impacting women worldwide in these ways. And on the personal level, I'm excited to spend more time with loved ones and I'm learning as a result, you know, all these different, exciting, different cuisines to feed them. Um, teaching myself a different cuisine every single month to become really, really great at that cuisine and definitely want to spend some time learning the guitar later, um, becoming better at Mandarin as well later and, and just um, always becoming a better version of myself in
1: this way.
0: Well, Tiffany, thank you so much for being on the Learner's Corner podcast today. If people want to continue to learn from you, from Mogul, and find the book, You Are in Mogul, where's the best place for them to do that?
2: You can definitely go on mogul.com slash tiffany-fam if they want to follow me on Mogul. Follow me on all social media channels, Uh T-I-F-F-T-P-H-A-M is my handle across Instagram and more. And then finally, if they download our Mogul app on the Apple App Store, They will definitely find me there and from that, especially get a chance to converse with me personally, one-on-one, and hopefully we can learn from each other.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. had a really fun time. Okay, Todd. It's a great conversation. Lots of things to take away, but what's something you learned?
1: Hey, I think one of the things that I really got out of this is um, the value of networking and making friends. Uh, I think a lot of what Tiffany's been able to accomplish and a lot of what Mogul is about is connecting and being able to have our have voices heard. And you know, just as you hear Tiffany's story and how you know she was um, kind of uh, I don't know what the word is sponsored essentially, you know, people people kind of co-sign um uh, her I think, it's, I think it's important for us to, to never underestimate the power of, of networking. And I know that that's something that I do a lot. I'm always networking. I'm always trying to meet people, um, talk to people, and kind of make friendships. And it's not just so that we can use people, but it's, it's so that we can, we can have connections with, with others who are doing some of the same things that we're doing, and so that we can continue to share um, and, and, and get better at what we're doing. And that's really what Mogul's about. Um so that's that's one of the things that I got out of that was just the importance of of continuing to to network, continuing to befriend others. The other thing is, hey, it's great to have friends in high places, right? Like this woman is friends with people at the United Nations, like that United Nations. So that's my takeaway.
0: Now, on the next episode of the Learners Corner podcast, we're going to be talking with Tom Chef Shunas, better known as Chef and my goodness,
1: this is going to be lit.
0: It's so good. Even
1: talk- though he's from Pittsburgh, we that's gross
0: about his experience leading at a uh, middle school ministry for North Point Ministries across all of their campuses. We talk with him about dealing with insecurity as a leader.
1: So many good and- things. He talks about counseling and, and all sorts of cool things about how as a leader, you know, if you're not investing in counseling right now, you should be. Is he from Pittsburgh or is he just from that area? I think he's just from that area. I forget. Oh, well. Anyways, it's disgusting. If you got to find out, you you gotta listen to the, to the episode. episode.
0: So, the best way to make sure that happens and the best way
1: to make sure you don't miss any of our Hey-o.
0: episodes coming out is by subscribing to our podcast and whatever podcast player you use. It will help you make sure that you do not miss a single episode. And you're not
1: going to want to. Of the Learner's Corner two episodes all this month, every week. Two episodes.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is Todd Ixenbaugh. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.
1: Deuces, y'all.